1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Whether you're just looking to stay warm during a hunt or need maximum concealment, the clothing you wear can make or break a hunt. At MidwayUSA.com, we understand hunting clothing has come a long way with more meticulously crafted camo patterns, advanced scent control technologies, and weatherproof options to withstand the elements. Hunters have to wait until their favorite season, but shouldn't wait on gear, which is why Midway USA offers super fast shipping. When you're ready for your next system, log on to MidwayUSA.com. Hang in there, guys. This is just me trying to sound like a moose. Hi, and welcome to episode three of the Ron Spomer Outdoors podcast. I'm your host, Ron Spomer, inviting you to join me for a nostalgic and sometimes revealing look back through the trials and tribulations of a freelance outdoor writer. You know, the the moose is North America's biggest deer. It's the world's biggest deer. And I tell you what, moose hunting gives me one of the biggest thrills in the outdoors. They're not as wary and hard to find as a big white tail, but just the country they live in and their massive size and the idea that you're out in the wilderness makes moose hunting quite special. I got to do it for the first time in the, the mid to late 80s. It must have been around 87, 88. And I got an opportunity to hunt up in British Columbia with uh, Don Beatty's family, a longtime outfitter up there. Um, and it was everything that I had imagined a moose hunt could be and should be. Just absolutely gorgeous wilderness mountains and rivers. We went with horse pack strings, uh, flew into the camp. Just everything that you've ever heard that a wilderness fly-in horseback moose hunt should be, could be. And by golly, it was. I got to write this up several times. Uh, and this particular version of the story, because we writers can write stories in any version we want. But I try to stay true to the to the facts. And um, a magazine asked me to do this one. It was called Guns and Ammo, Wild Hunting. It was one of those annual magazines, those specials that the publishers will put out from time to time. This one was prevent, presented by Surefire, the company that makes the great flashlights and suppressors. So I got to put this story in and it was called appropriately enough, my first moose, because it's exactly what it was. And uh, the little subtitle under this one, the editor put in was called, there's much more to moose hunting than the old Bullwinkle cartoons. Let's jump right in. Your first moose hunt is your most memorable because it was the fulfillment of the dream. You know the dream. Man against the wilderness in pursuit of the largest deer in the world with the biggest antlers since the Irish elk. 
Who can't help but dream about that? Even if those palms didn't spread 60 inches with enough points to hang the family's laundry, the moose's six-foot height alone would make him a trophy. Heck, the country he calls home makes him a trophy. Take any of it. The swamps and balsam forests of the Northeast, the Dugfur slopes of the Rockies, the wilderness willow valleys of British Columbia, or the tundra mountains of Alaska. Go by horse train through the high passes, or paddle the streams and marshes. Moan through rolled birch bark, dribble water from a paddle, lay close to your horse's neck to hide. Distant mountains for the semaphore flash of those proud palms, your moose hunting. That's a moose? Yeah, down there. Bull. Young John Beatty twisted in his saddle, grinned, and pointed down the unnamed stream valley, fanning off the snowy peaks. You want to see him up close? Get off. I swung my right leg back over my mount's rear and dismounted left side, the uphill side, my boots sinking into mats of green moss, white lichens and twisted brown dwarf birch limbs. It was a fairy forest. Tiny toothed leaves wet with dew fell and stuck to boot leather. John was already up, tying his cayuse to a fir trunk. Grab your gun and give me that lead rope, he directed. I unsnapped the leather scabbard grabbed a fistful of walnut and pulled the M70 featherweight free. It was my newest rifle and I was infatuated with its trim forend, even the hangnose knobble tip and that fleur-de-lis checkering pattern. The barrel gleamed black in the morning sun. My wiry guide took the lead from me and led my nag to a fir tree. Always tie him high like this so they don't get tangled in the rope. We might be gone for hours sometimes but not this time. We moved quickly downhill until the horses were hidden behind a block of firs. You gonna call him? Though I'd never hunted moose before, I photographed them and heard them rut grunting in Yellowstone. It was a primitive bovine sound reminding me of the grunting of fat puppies when you pick them up, except more nasal. Spell the sound phonetically and it might look like You ready? Don't shoot until I say so. We gotta see how big he is. The kid pinched his nose with both forefingers, cupped his hand over his face, and groaned a perfect imitation of a lusty cow. The bull answered. John replied. Come to mama. If moose can sound tickled, this one sounded tickled. It was downright titillated. Hot to trot. And then he flashed a palm. A big white palm with more bone cell and mass than probably all the whitetail and mule deer antlers together I'd ever collected. I sucked in a breath and instinctively raised the Winchester. John laid a hand on mine. Relax, let's see what we've got. What we had was one monstrous deer walking a circle around us at bow range. Wide, heavy palms tilting under fir boughs, flashing in the sun, big nose resonating with misdirected love talk. Each step seemingly forcing out another declaration of commitment. 
He came. Big enough? Should I shoot? No. Nice, but we can do better. First day. We'll find bigger ones. And right there, my guide earned his fee, saving me from committing an error all too common to novice moose hunters. Unless you are familiar with the species and the local potential of that species you're hunting, it's easy to be fooled. A palm 10 inches across and 30 inches top to bottom looks mighty impressive until you see one that's 14 inches wide and 40 inches long. Wish I had a bow, I murmured. Yeah, it'd be an easy bow shot. The bull circled above us before getting our wind on rising currents, and then Popeye, he trotted out of there, high-stepping over birch and willow brush until swallowed by fir boughs. I'd come to the flanks of British Columbia's glaciated Rocky Mountains northwest of Pink Mountain on the Alaska Highway via a Ford F-150. It was a long drive from North Idaho, but less hassle than flying guns into Canada and worrying about missing connections or losing gear. Besides, I wanted to haul meat and antlers back. Jack Atchison and Sons had arranged the hunt with Don Beatty, a longtime rancher outfitter in this region, famous for not only moose, but also grizzlies, stone sheep, black bears, elk, and even bison. I was surprised to see three mule deer along the highway just beyond Pink Mountain. Then I turned west to a landing strip where a bush plane soon landed. You going to Beatty's? Uh, yeah, moose hunting. Name's Spomer, Ron Spomer. You're the man I'm supposed to pick up. Hey, this your gear? We loaded quickly. The sun would soon set. We should make it just in time. I've got landing lights coming back, so I'll be okay, but we gotta hurry. Don't step there. Grab hold. Pull yourself in. Around the airstrip, the land was a monotonous flat of conifers with the odd wet meadow, but it soon climbed to the west where massive mountains scratched the sky. Here in the rain shadow of the Rockies were great swaths of yellow grassland, dark pines and firs limited to north slopes, and wet valleys festooning with looping silver streams bordered in yellow willows, enlarged here and there by long beaver dams. What are those straight lines? I asked into my headset microphone. Seismic survey lines. They've prospected all through this country. What for? Oil, I guess. Natural gas, maybe? The cuts through timber prophesied death by a thousand cuts. Hey, there's a bear! The pilot banked the plane, spotted the brown animal striding up a hill, stood the plane on its wingtip, and turned a tight circle. It was a longer look than I'd required, but I swallowed and vowed not to point out any more animated scenery. We landed on a grass strip beside a gorgeous mountain lake at dusk. Two guides and a woman cook stood in front of the log cabin with a sod roof, bright red outbuilding, and a wall of neatly cut and stacked firewood. The comforting aroma of wood smoke wafted by. Going for a cup of coffee, we'll get your stuff, someone said. I was stirring in sugar when I heard the plane roar up and away. That's the nice thing about aerial transport in the wilderness. Once the sound is gone, the wilderness is back. In the cabin, there was no sound but the ticking of the wood stove. In my sleeping cabin, naught but the rustle of a mouse. My guide, the outfitter's son, was young enough to be my own, but he'd grown up in an outfitter family. Knowing what I knew about the competence of 18-year-old farm kids back home, I wasn't worried. By the time I straggled in for breakfast next morning, John was already driving the Remuda in for saddling. 
A lineup of moose racks stood atop dark green panniers near the hitching posts. Got those the last seven days, John answered my obvious question as he brushed down a chestnut mare. They look pretty big. Is that about what we should expect? Well, there's a bigger one or two around if we can find him. Dad saw a monster yesterday flying. He said he was walking this direction. John poured oats on the ground, a small mound for each horse. We were mounted and riding, still in the shadow of the eastern ridge, but the western mountain reflected orange. We rode up the frosted valley, angling up the west side, staying above the beaver bottoms and willow thickets. Easier to look down into it from up here, the kid explained. It's still early enough that a bunch will be above tree line. That's what I want to check out. We've seen a big one up that basin there, right to the right. To the right. That, we'll see if we can find him. An hour later, we called in the young bull. A half hour after that, we were dismounted again, backs against young firs glassing an eastern basin full of moose. Two bulls, eight cows, and there he is. The big one? I think so. Look at all the cows with him. He's got to be the boss bull. From two miles away, he looked like a black moose with antlers. That was all. But those antlers were polished, rubbed long and energetically on alders and willows and stiff, sappy firs. They would smell of the high country, pungent but clean, while the bull himself, after a week or two of rolling in mud wallows and urine pits of his own making, would reek of ammonia. Biologists say mature bulls thus perfume themselves to stimulate the cows, induce ovulation, and get that rut underway. Younger bulls, not yet able to metabolize the stinky urine that cows prefer, have been known to sneak into older bulls' wallows and steal a layer of the old man's aftershave, hoping to fool the girls. It sometimes works, unless the gals catch a flash of the big man's antlers, in which case visual stimulation trumps olfactory motivation. They say antlers, as secondary sexual characteristics, mimic a calf. They prove that a bull can metabolize forage efficiently enough to grow excess body mass, bone, much like a cow can grow a fetus. By selecting a bull with the largest antlers, cows select genes for most efficient calf production. Hunters aren't alone in appreciating big antlers. We going after him, I asked. Maybe later he isn't going anywhere. Let's look around. We can always come back and find him. This is another of the multiple benefits of hunting wilderness in an exclusive guiding area. You don't worry about another hunting party stepping on your toes. You can hunt at leisure, tour the country, check out a variety of animals without that gut-wrenching worry about having passed up the best you might see. The sun cooperated, warming the October air to shirt sleeve temperatures as we rode and glassed into valleys and basins, the gray walls of the Rockies rising all the while to the west, seemingly close enough to hit with a rock, so clear was the air. Golden eagles soared above the rim rock, pikas squeaked from boulder fields, the last of the season's snowmelt trickled under rocks, seeped through mats of dying monkey flowers and hanging moss. Three-toed woodpeckers tapped softly on tall firs. A family of spruce grouse flushed noisily beside the trail. Wish I had a twenty-two, I said, thinking of the tender white breast meat as three fool hens bobbed and swayed on branches overhead. 
We could try to whack one with a stick. John was off his horse and hunting with an appropriate projectile. Found one, took aim, threw. Ah, did you see that? Just over it. The grouse jerked its head in perfect imitation of its reputation. John found another stick. This one hit the branch and glanced off the bird, which tumbled before riding itself and flapping away. Informed and encouraged, its siblings followed. No grouse tonight, but you almost had him. During a stop for an afternoon nap in the sun, I glassed the mountain flanks above us and spotted game. Hey, sheep up there, are those stones? Yep. Cool, I've never seen stone sheep before. Looks like a bunch of ewes and lambs. You should come up and hunt them sometime. Ha, like I could afford that. How about we just ride up and shoot one now? I'd take a ram instead of a moose. How's that? Ain't gonna happen, John laughed. We get more sheep hunters than sheep permits. Is that why hunts are so high priced? Uh-huh. You ever get one? Yeah, but just as a guide. You should see the mount my dad has back at the house. We trailed back to the lake and cabin at dark just in time for supper. What a pleasure to find food and a warm kitchen instead of a cold nylon tent and freeze-dried meal waiting at the end of a hard day in the saddle. Fresh biscuits were pure ambrosia. There he is. Same one. I think so. See all the cows again? Yeah, it's him. And he's bigger than anything else we saw yesterday, right? Right. We were back where we'd seen the biggest bull of the first day. He hadn't moved much, still camped in the high willows above the last of the spruce and firs, up in the glacier-carved basin where dwarf willows provided an all-you-can-eat smorgasbord, but almost no stocking cover. A moose could high-step through it quick as a cat over carpet, but we, well, we'd be tripping and pushing brush like an old man in a hedgerow. How about that last stringer of firs coming up the other side there? We could reach those if we could get into the bottom unseen. How close would that get us? Yeah, maybe close enough. Let's see. John led the way down, keeping trees between the moose and us. We were probably too far away to alarm them, without gross movement or, or shouting, Look out! Still, there's no sense in rushing things and blowing the stock. Once we got under the roll of the far hill, we stood and walked quickly, leaping and sliding down dry banks toward the creek, now becoming a roar much like the adrenaline in our veins. Will we be able to cross that? I asked, my knees starting to tremble. Eh, piece of cake. Though fast, the stream was narrow and studded with plenty of large boulders. Hop, skip, and we were over, boots dry. We pushed up through a patch of fire weed, reclaiming a washout. The stems gone, wine red, the purple flowers gone to white fluffy seeds that popped free of their narrow husks and floated around us. Down. John went to his knees, crawled forward, angled toward three small firs, the last of the breed between us and those moose. I peeked over my guide's back, breathing hard, and saw two cows far ahead. We reached the firs. My hands were shaking. I'm just going to take a look, John said. You wait. The kid eased up and peered through boughs. Then he ducked. Still there. He's lying down. We're out of cover. Can you hit him from here? I don't know. I need to see how far away he is. Let me up there. I raised up behind that last little fur. Heck, that's less than 250 yards. Maybe not even 200. You want me to take him? Well, yeah, if you want him. Well, now was the big moment of truth, and I was reluctant to spend my tag. This was worse than signing papers on a new car. Did I really want this bull? 
Should I hold on for something bigger? Well, what if I did and we didn't find anything bigger? He's the biggest, isn't he? Biggest we've seen, but not as big as that one your dad saw from the air the other day. No, but who knows where that one is? I studied the bull through my 7X bushnells. He was lying in the willows, jaws working the morning's cud, ears whacking at flies, black bell swaying when he turned his head, big palms flashing. They looked huge to me. But what did I know? A first-time moose hunter? I raised the 30 6 and ran a cartridge into the chamber. I think I'm going to shoot him. John stuck his fingers in his ears, and I studied the crosshair on the bull's neck, my only target. The rifle bucked. I hardly heard it. The moose just looked around. Hit him again! I didn't hit him the first time, I replied, knowing that I'd shot high for fear of hitting willows. This time, I held the loopholed duplex reticle low on branches just in front of the dark neck hair. The rifle kicked again, and the bull rolled over, never to rise again. My assessment of John was accurate. He did have the skills of a bred and born wilderness man, quickly breaking that moose into its constituent parts and spreading them on patches of clean willows to cool. This would be more than winter meat, enough to last through the next summer, maybe into a second winter. The back straps seemed as long as a sofa. I placed my booted foot beside a hoof, same size. A lower leg bone weighed more than a jackrabbit. This beast was more like a steer than a deer. Antlers spread 58 inches. How many horses is it going to take to get this out of here? Just two, but I brought three, so we'll pack them light. You spread these out to cool, and I'll go get the string. I sat with the butchered bull for nearly an hour, listening to the mountains breathe, reflecting on moose hunting. These animals are certainly not the challenge of a white-tailed or elk, possessing neither the wit nor the caution. But who says everything we hunt has to be afraid of its shadow, as nocturnal as owls, as jumpy as kangaroos? There are other challenges, other rewards in hunting, like big country, big mountains, empty spaces, solitude, the most impressive antlers in the world and some of the best red meat that ever grunted in the willows. Yeah, that's kind of the uh, memory I have of that hunt. You know, it was a classic wilderness horseback moose hunting trip. Um, didn't stay in the canvas tents, but good old log cabin is certainly a classic wilderness lodging. And the Beatties were a great ranching family in that country. They had to reach that ranch either by snow machine um, sometimes I think they could take a boat up the Sikkany Chief River and get there that way, but mostly they flew in with the bush planes. And they uh, raised cattle back in there and, of course, outfitted for all the wonderful game that you find in the Rocky Mountain wilderness of British Columbia. <clears throat> and chief among them, in my estimation, would have to be that good old Canadian moose. So if you ever get a chance, or even if you don't get the chance, do dream about making a moose hunt. They are one of the finest tasting venisons in the country. And obviously they're the biggest deer in the world. And being able to hunt them in the 21st century is a rare treat that we should cherish, protect.
That's a wrap for now. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to hear more tales and adventures, check out my weekly podcast episodes on your favorite podcatcher or at ronspomeroutdoors.com, where you can also find hundreds of articles, photos, and videos on hunting, conservation, natural history, guns, ammo, ballistics, and optics. You can also find me on YouTube by searching for Ron Spomer Outdoors. Until next time, this is Ron Spomer wishing you safe, satisfying, and joyous adventures afield while you hunt honest and shoot straight. are where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment. Don't miss Mondays with Into the Blue, brought to you by Academy Sports and Outdoors. Every Monday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV, the destination for outdoor entertainment.